As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello again, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am so excited today. I can barely contain myself. We are celebrating two giant milestones that the stars aligned, the planets aligned, everything aligned, my chakras aligned. We are celebrating two huge milestones with the release of today's episode. And one is that this is episode 200. So I'm super excited about that. Holy cow, I can't believe I've sat here at my desk and talked to you now 200 times. And then on top of that, we're hitting 4 million downloads, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And I usually start my episodes with a listener shout-out to a specific person. This one is going out to you, to absolutely every single person who follows, subscribes, downloads, listens, recommends, shares, and loves the podcast. I love you back, and I'm so, so grateful for you. I also want to take a quick minute for a shout out to the pod squad, all the people that help make this happen. There's Chelsea and Jess Katie, Alyssa, Holly, the amazing, amazing Karen, my editor, Tim, Rachel. There are so many people who help me make this happen. And of course, there's you. Again, thank you so much for sticking by me when it was just me and a cheap microphone and I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't start this podcast with anything more than a desire to teach. And I've learned as I went along, and now here we are. 200 episodes, 4 million downloads, constantly in the top 10 to 15 medical podcasts in the nation. It's just incredible. I'm so, so honored, so humbled, so grateful. So again, thank you so very much. So to say thank you, we are doing some really fun things over on Instagram today. So if you are listening to this on the day that it airs on that Thursday, February 17th, I want you to head over to Instagram at Straight A Nurse. We're going to be doing some fun giveaways and celebrating. So I would love to see you there. So a few weeks back, I put a question into my Facebook group, which if you haven't joined yet, it's awesome. It's called Thriving Nursing Students. Come check it out. But I put a question in there and said, hey, you guys, we're celebrating a big milestone episode coming up. What do you want me to talk about? And many, many people requested a topic covering oncology. So here I am talking to you today about tumor lysis syndrome. Tumor lysis syndrome, sometimes referred to as TLS, 
is a very serious, often life-threatening emergency condition that occurs when tumor cells die. And as these cells die, they release their contents into the bloodstream. Now, this can occur without provocation, but it's most likely due to chemotherapy or radiation. And then what this does is that chemo, that radiation is going to cause a massive destruction of tumor cells. And again, as the cells lyse or break apart, things are released into the bloodstream. And namely with TLS, we're looking at phosphorus, potassium, and nucleic acids. Now, this is problematic for multiple, multiple reasons. So we'll look at each of these kind of as an overview, and then we're going to dive deep. So hyperphosphatemia, so there's too much phos in the bloodstream. So recall that phosphorus and calcium have an inverse relationship. So while elevated phosphorus levels probably aren't great for a person, it's the resulting hypocalcemia that is significantly dangerous. And then, of course, there's the hypocalcemia itself, and low calcium levels can lead to cardiac dysfunction, seizures, tetany, and death. And then hyperkalemia, because those cells released their potassium, high potassium levels can lead to significant cardiac dysfunction and cardiac arrest. And then those nucleic acids. So catabolism of the nucleic acids that are released is going to lead to hyperuricemia. We're going to talk about all of this a bit more as we dive into the pathophysiology. So first, I want to touch on who is at risk for tumor lysis syndrome. So the individuals who are most at risk for TLS are those with leukemia and a very elevated white blood cell count, those with lymphoma, that is being aggressively treated with chemotherapy and those with neuroblastoma or hepatoblastoma. Now, a study that analyzed data from the national inpatient sample found that 30% of cases were associated with non-Hodgkin lymphoma, while 20% were associated with solid tumors and 19% associated with AML, acute myeloid leukemia. Some cancers that are lower risk for TLS are multiple myeloma, solid cancers, chronic myeloid leukemia, or CML, and chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL. And though it's not very common, I do want you to know that TLS can be associated with certain medications. These include steroids, monoclonal antibodies, and biologic immunomodulators, but again, not very common. So let's now dive into the pathophysiology of tumor lysis syndrome. In its most basic terms, the main cause of death in TLS is going to be cardiac arrest and or renal failure. The pathophysiology is really complex here, so we're just going to hone in on the basics, kind of that must-know information. So we have that hyperuricemia. So in a healthy person, if you've got excess uric acid, that can be transformed into a soluble substance that the kidneys can easily get rid of. But in tumor lysis syndrome, we've got that rapid influx of uric acid. 
And basically, it's going to build up and crystallize in the renal tubules, causing acute kidney injury and obstruction. Now, that uric acid also causes vasoconstriction in the kidney, which further exacerbates the injury and leads to tissue ischemia. Additionally, that uric acid is going to cause the release of tumor necrosis factor, which attracts white blood cells and leads to further inflammation, further renal injury. When the TLS is directly associated with cancer therapy, you're likely to see those elevated uric acid levels about 48 to 72 hours after the initiation of that therapy. So it doesn't happen right away. Two days to what? 72 hours. Is that three days? So two to three days after the initiation of therapy. Another key component of the pathophysiology are the electrolyte imbalances. So again, we've got FOS levels that are too high, calcium levels that are too low, and potassium levels that are too high. So let's talk about each one of these. So looking at hyperphosphatemia, as the tumor cells break down, they release that phosphorus into the bloodstream. And again, in a healthy individual, kidneys can handle a lot, right? But the kidneys in our patient with tumor lysis syndrome are being damaged by uric acid. So they're not going to be able to manage that excess phosphorus load. Now, the key reason we are concerned so much about hyperphosphatemia, again, is because of its inverse relationship between phosphorus and calcium. So hyperphosphatemia means hypocalcemia. So the signs of hyperphosphatemia are basically going to be associated with hypocalcemia, and you'll typically see these about 24 to 48 hours after treatment initiation. So let's talk about hypocalcemia because that's what's so significantly dangerous. Low calcium levels in tumor lysis syndrome are almost always going to be due to that concurrent hyperphosphatemia. And definitely, we care way more about the hypocalcemia because it's so dangerous. As the excess phosphorus enters the bloodstream, calcium ions bind to the phosphorus, and this creates a calcium phosphate salt. And as this goes on and goes on and goes on, we use up the calcium and we have hypocalcemia. And with hypocalcemia, we have seizure, we have tetany, we have severe cardiac dysrhythmias, and even death. And then, of course, we can't forget the potassium levels, which are going to be elevated in tumor lysis syndrome. So as those tumor cells lyse, they release significant amounts of potassium into the bloodstream. And again, the kidneys aren't functioning properly. They're getting kicked down by that uric acid that's building up. They can't handle this influx of potassium. So now we have even higher risk for hyperkalemia. And the biggest problem with hyperkalemia is cardiac dysfunction that can lead to cardiac arrest. Typically, hyperkalemia is going to occur about 6 to 72 hours after chemotherapy initiation. So now you've got kind of a general overview of tumor lysis syndrome and why it's so dangerous. So let's go through it using our latte method. So we'll start with the letter L, which represents how the patient looks. 
What are their signs and symptoms? What do you notice about them? So when we look at the tumor lysis syndrome, let's kind of look at each individual component. So the hyperuricemia and then the electrolyte imbalances. So with the hyperuricemia, there's going to be quite varied signs and symptoms. So key things you'll notice are decreased urine output due to obstructive uropathy and acute kidney injury. They may have pain in their joints from that uric acid. They could have flank pain, which may be described as colicky pain. You may hear the term renal colic as well. They could have coarse lung sounds because as the kidneys fail or at least start having very depressed function, fluid can build up. The patient can get fluid volume overloaded, and that can affect the lungs. They could have pulmonary edema. With that, they may have decreased oxygen saturation levels, increased respiratory rate, increased work of breathing. They may report a metallic taste in their mouth, be weak, have nausea and vomiting, They could have itching or pruritus, and sometimes pericarditis can occur. The buildup of uric acid leads to the release of pro-inflammatory markers that can damage the pericardium, and when this occurs, you may hear muffled heart tones. So those are the general signs and symptoms, things you might notice, things a patient might complain about with hyperuricemia. Now, Looking at the electrolyte imbalances, again, hyperphosphatemia, the signs, symptoms, all of that typically are going to be related to hypocalcemia. So what will you notice about a patient with hypocalcemia? They'll have that positive Chovstek sign and that positive Trousseau sign. Recall that Chovstek sign is that twitching of the facial muscles when you tap over that facial nerve. And then Trousseau sign is a carpopedal spasm that basically results from ischemia. And typically what we do is we put a blood pressure cuff on the arm, you leave it in place for a bit, and you watch for a spasm. Hypocalcemia can also cause seizure and tetany, which is enhanced neuromuscular excitability. And it can also cause wheezing. So Hypocalcemia can cause bronchoconstriction or bronchospasm. So if you hear any kind of adventitious upper airway sounds in someone who's at risk for or who has hypocalcemia, I want you to be very, very aware and hop on that very quickly. Now looking at hyperkalemia, the classic signs you'll see with hyperkalemia are on the ECG, you'll have tall peaked T waves. And then as the condition continues, the QRS will eventually get wider and wider and the P wave will have a decreased amplitude. As this progresses and goes on, the QRS just continues to widen until it basically flattens out, the P wave flattens out, and what you end up with is a systole or ventricular fibrillation. So hyperkalemia, very, very serious. Early on, you're going to see more of that tall peaked T wave. Other signs of hyperkalemia are muscle cramping, weakness, 
GI-wise, there's a lot. There's diarrhea, nausea, vomiting. Bowel sounds are going to be hyperactive with that. Neuro-wise, they may be confused, be irritable, and have numbness of the face, the hands, and the feet. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds, like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. So now let's move on to A. How do you assess the patient? So if I've got a patient with tumor lysis syndrome, I'm monitoring their I's and O's. I'm looking for signs of edema. I'm monitoring their weight. They are at risk for fluid volume overload. I'll assess for pain, especially flank pain, but note that joint pain may be present as well. I'm going to listen to lungs because they could have that wheezing, secondary to hypocalcemia. They could have coarse lung sounds, secondary to that fluid overload, that pulmonary edema. With that, I'll monitor their respiratory rate, their O2 saturation level, and their work of breathing. While I'm auscultating the chest, I'm going to be listening to the heart. I'm assessing for any abnormal heart sounds like those muffled heart tones that would be present with pericarditis. And of course, I'm monitoring for any EKG changes that can definitely occur with hypocalcemia and hyperkalemia. I'll assess for the chopstick sign, I'll assess for the trousseau sign, and assess the patient for nausea vomiting, and diarrhea. Of course, I'm getting a full set of vital signs. I'm looking very closely also at their blood pressure because this patient could be hypotensive due to volume losses or cardiac dysfunction. So the next letter in the latte method is T. What tests are going to be ordered for a patient who has TLS or suspected TLS? So a basic metabolic panel, probably more like a complete metabolic panel would be obtained. You're going to be looking for abnormal levels of electrolytes, namely potassium, calcium, FOS. You're also going to be looking at uric acid levels. The BUN and creatinine will be elevated as well as the kidneys become injured. An ABG may be conducted and it would show a metabolic acidosis. And then if the patient is not on continuous EKG monitoring, you may also be implementing that most likely and may even get a full 12 lead as well because there are cardiac dysrhythmias that you would want to be able to identify. Now, what about treatments? That's the next letter in the latte method. So what treatments are going to be provided? So medical management of tumor lysis syndrome tends to focus on preventing or addressing serious complications. 
We're also going to be maintaining adequate fluid balance, correcting electrolyte disturbances, and managing those excess uric acid levels. So some key things that you may see in the treatment plan for this patient are fluids. An isotonic 0.9% sodium chloride is probably going to be utilized if the patient's condition does show they need hydration. Because you're using an isotonic crystalloid, it's going to help dilute the high levels of potassium and FOS, as well as the uric acid in the bloodstream, so helping to bring those levels down by dilution. The patient may get diuresis. This can help promote ideal renal function. We will use a non-thiazide diuretic for this typically. When we have someone with hyperkalemia, you're going to see treatments that are aimed at either shifting potassium back into the cell or removing it from the body via the GI tract. So we have medications that can do this. So K-exalate is one of those that works on the GI tract, and K-exalate will bind to excess potassium, which is then passed out in the stool. We also have a way to push potassium into the cell, and we do that with insulin and glucose given together. And the reason we give them together is because, as you recall, insulin's going to unlock the cell. Insulin is your key, okay? Glucose is like the little truck, and then potassium sits in the, the bed of the truck. So insulin unlocks the gate to the cell, and then your truck of glucose drives up, and it's got some potassium in the back, and it takes potassium into the cell with it. So that's one way that we can kind of force a potassium shift. You can also sometimes see albuterol used in this way. Albuterol will also cause a potassium shift. I don't know if it's used in tumor lysis syndrome, but you will hear it used as a mechanism to do that. Calcium gluconate is given in hyperkalemia, not because it does anything for the potassium level. It's considered cardioprotective. It's going to help make that cardiac muscle less excitable and less likely to have issues from the high potassium. Now, because this patient also has some hypocalcemia, you may see calcium gluconate used for that as well. It's going to be used very, very cautiously, most likely, because as the hyperphosphatemia is addressed, that is going to correct the calcium level or work a long way toward correcting that calcium level. Sodium bicarbonate is another medication that you will likely see utilized in patients with tumor lysis syndrome. And the reason we give sodium bicarbonate is to increase the pH of the urine. And what this does is it helps make the uric acid more soluble and less likely to form those harmful crystals. A common medication in the treatment of elevated uric acid levels is allopurinol. And as luck would have it, I will be talking about allopurinol in a couple of weeks here on the podcast. So keep an eye out for that. The short version is that allopurinol helps inhibit uric acid formation. So if you want to learn more about that, make sure you're subscribed or following the podcast. And that episode will show up like magic in a couple of weeks for you.
Okay, we also may be giving phosphorus binding antacids. These are used to bind up that excess phosphorus with the goal of improving those calcium levels. And those antacids can cause a lot of constipation, so the patient may need a stool softener or something to treat that constipation as well. A nasogastric tube could possibly be utilized. These patients often have severe nausea vomiting, so nasogastric tube may be part of the treatment plan. And then dietary changes may be needed. The patient may need to have a diet that's low in potassium and low in phosphorus. And then again, if they've got the constipation from the antacids, they may be directed to have more fiber in their diet. And then, of course, anytime you have hypocalcemia, I want you to think safety, 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 instigate seizure precautions for your patient. And then in our last component, E is for education. How are you going to educate the patient and the family? So education for tumor lysis syndrome ideally is going to occur prior to the initiation of treatment because it is imperative that patients and families know what signs and symptoms to watch for, especially in those patients that are at higher risk. So the early signs of TLS that you want them to be aware of, and there may be more, but these are some key ones, fluid retention, weakness, lethargy, muscle cramping, paresthesia, nausea and vomiting, and diarrhea. And if the individual experiences any of these, you want to make sure that they understand they should seek emergency medical care immediately. In the clinical setting, you're going to be, of course, explaining all aspects of your care, the need for continuous monitoring like ECG monitoring, frequent blood pressure checks, all of that, the frequent labs that you'll definitely be doing, and of course, those dietary modifications. So this is a complex topic. I learned so much putting this together for you. So let's do a quick TLDR, too long, didn't read. I guess on a podcast episode, it would be too long, didn't listen, and we'll just go through some of the highlights, okay? So I've got about seven or eight bullet points, okay, that we're just going to touch on each of them. So one, tumor lysis syndrome is a medical emergency that ensues when tumor cells are destroyed by chemotherapy or radiation and spill excess potassium, phosphorus, and nucleic acids into the bloodstream. Number two, this leads to hyperuricemia, hyperkalemia, hyperphosphatemia, and hypocalcemia. Number three, the excess uric acid crystallizes in the kidneys, leading to renal failure. Number four, Electrolyte imbalances, namely potassium and calcium, lead to significant cardiac dysfunction, seizures, and death. Number five, treatment is aimed at maintaining renal flow with hydration and diuretics. Number six, hyperuricemia is treated with allopurinol and sodium bicarbonate. Number seven, electrolyte imbalances are addressed. And number eight, the patient is monitored for complications, namely cardiac dysrhythmias, renal failure, and seizure. So let's go through a little bit of pod quizzing for this because I really want you guys to have a good, solid understanding of tumor lysis syndrome. So if you've never done a pod quiz before, I'm going to ask a question, give you a moment to respond, and then tell you the answer. It's a great way to review 
And when you do one of my pod quiz episodes where it's a full episode, it's a fantastic way to study while getting away from your desk. It totally frees you from always having to sit and study at your desk, which is why I created Study Sesh, which is my other podcast, which I will link to in the episode notes so that you can learn more about that. It is awesome. Okay, so let's do a little bit of pod quizzing. What are the three things that are going to be released into the bloodstream as the tumor cells break apart? So we have phosphorus, potassium, and nucleic acids. So why do we care so much about elevated phos levels? What effect is that going to have on another key electrolyte? It's going to cause a concurrent hypocalcemia. Very, very good. And then those nucleic acids, what are they going to lead to in the body? Elevated levels of... Uric acid. Very, very good. You're doing a fantastic job. Let's do a few more. Tell me the two key causes of death in tumor lysis syndrome. Renal failure and cardiac arrest. Which electrolyte imbalance is this? Seizure, tetany, cardiac dysrhythmias, positive chopsticks, and positive trousseau sign. That is hypocalcemia. Which electrolyte imbalance is this? Diarrhea, nausea, hyperactive bowel sounds, muscle cramping, numbness of the face, hands, and feet, and a tall peaked T-wave. That is hyperkalemia. Very, very good. Okay. When you're looking at your lab test, your blood draw test from your patient, we are going to be looking at potassium, calcium, phosphorus, and uric acid. What's going to be going on with the BUN and the creatinine? They will be elevated. And what will you see on an ABG? What metabolic imbalance? Metabolic acidosis. And then tell me one way that you can help treat hyperkalemia. So one way could be K-exalate. That's going to be a PO medication. I believe that can be given as a retention enema as well. Another method is insulin plus glucose. And then albuterol, that inhaled beta agonist, can shift potassium into the cell as well. And last one, what is the medication that I named that can help inhibit uric acid formation? That is allopurinol. 
So if you enjoyed this little quiz, you will go absolutely nuts for study sesh. I have entire episodes where it's just a ton of these pod quiz questions. It's a really great way, again, to review and go over material without having to sit at your desk, stare at a computer screen, stare at a flashcard, stare at anything. You can just pop in your earbuds and get outside. It's absolutely life-changing, and I love it. I will put a link to that in the episode notes. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for being with me here today to celebrate 200 episodes, to celebrate 4 million downloads. And again, I want to see you on Instagram today if you're listening today so that you can get in on some of the fun giveaways and things over there. So that's at Straight A Nurse. Come find me over there on Instagram. And then next week, we are going to be talking about meningitis. So I will see you back here next week for that. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.